The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Radical Mentoring hosted a track called Activate Your Men, Transform Your Church. That's where today's audio was recorded. Make sure to go online and download a free ebook written by their founder, Reggie Campbell. It's called Fill Your Seats. Download this ebook at no cost to you by going to discipleship.org slash radical. Uh, my name's Kevin. I'm the executive director for Radical Mentoring. Uh, Trey Brush here in the back is also on our team. Between the two of us, um, we are actively involved in what we call church relationships, which is helping churches understand how to navigate our resources. A couple things I'll point you to before we get going. Um, I'll reference this book, Mentor Like Jesus. Um, we have some available for sale. Uh, for $10, but this gives kind of an outline of the process that um, we did not invent, that uh, Reggie, our founder, came to the realization that Jesus invented it, and so why not just continue to do the same thing he was doing. Um, If you have one of these in your seat or in a seat around you, I've got some more up here if you need one. This just tells you how to get to our website. You can create an account and get access to our resources. Our resources are available at no charge. We're funded by men and churches who've been touched by the ministry. And so at no point will you be asked for a credit card. We want you to have access to these so that you can experience what happens inside these uh, group environments. This will be very interactive. Um, Some of you have experienced this. We're kind of a one-trick pony, and to come up with five sessions for an hour and 15 minutes um, has been a little challenging. But um, I want to walk you through sort of where we were so that you sort of know where we, kind of where, we're, where the process started. I will um, walk you through a little bit about who Radical Mentoring is, and then we'll talk about the specific subject for this session. So we started with engaging men in a distracted culture. You guys know because you are men, um, and you know because you have men that are inside your churches that it's becoming harder and harder to capture the mind of a man because his mind is being captured by work and all these other things that are calling calling for their attention. Not all bad things, um, but they're just things that are drawing the attention of men. Men may or may not be engaged in your church because they may think that it's not for them. They may think they've been there, they've done that. I became a Christian as an eighth grader in North Carolina. Um, that's when I became a fan of Jesus, but I didn't become a follower of Jesus. And some guys can check the box that says, hey, I've, I've got that thing taken care of, so I'm not going to take my Sunday mornings over here. I'm going to go over here and do something else. Um, so how do you begin to engage men? Sometimes it's the environments that we're creating for men. Not all bad environments, but sometimes it's harder for a guy to see where they might fit in. Um, Revitalizing your church from the inside out, this idea of building a strong inner core who then is equipped to go out and engage others around them. Um, Dan Eubanks was here uh, who's in, in the last session who's uh, used our process. He's a senior pastor of his church. And he, he said one of the benefits for him as a senior pastor was understanding now that he's got a group of five guys who have his back who he knows he can take things to them that are challenging, takes things to them that are on his mind, that he may not be able to take to other places because he shared his life with these guys and he shared his story and it's created a safe place for them. The idea of let's, oftentimes churches look out and trying to bring people in, but you may have some really strong people inside that can help you in that process. Last session we talked about measuring disciple-making results, um, how there's this blend between you've got to have statistics 
that you manage and measure too, but you also need to capture the stories which research tells us are much more impactful than just the raw numbers. In this session, we're going to talk about breaking the cycle of same. Here's who we are. Quickly, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. Our resources are tested. We've had 225 churches that are using our process. They're free because, again, we mentioned we're supported by men and churches who've been touched by the ministry and they want to pay it forward. And so churches who have used us in the past are giving to us, which allows us to be at conferences like this so we can then talk about the opportunity that may be something that may fit into the context of your church. Our founder, Reggie, who was here yesterday, is a little under the weather today, um, wrote this book, Mentor Like Jesus, in 2007 and founded at the point, but he just called it mentoring because it wasn't an organization, um, back in 2000 when he started mentoring guys in this, in this context. And we have a staff of three, that, um, including Reg, or four including Reggie, but three of us that do a lot of the day-to-day -day, uh, work engaging with churches, helping guide them along the way so that they sort of know where they can uh, help fit radical mentoring in. Here's the Cliff Notes version of Mentor Like Jesus. Uh, we know that he was purposeful. We know he was selfless. He got nothing out of his mentoring relationship with the guys other than he was pouring his life out into them. He started with a group. Uh, we talked about this in the last session. When you hear the word mentoring, a lot of people think one-on-one -on -one is sort of a natural place they want to go. Um, and the challenge with one-on-one -on -one mentoring oftentimes is you're relying on two guys who don't know each other really well to meet somewhere to talk about something that they're not really sure what it is they need to talk about. And so you're sort of matchmaking in a lot of ways. You're arranging the marriage. Um, there's power in a group. And as we talk about our process, you'll see elements of group. There's also elements of one-on-one. -on -one. We don't totally discount that because we know it's important to get guys one-on-one, -on -one, but we think the group is also powerful. He handpicked his mentees. Um, harder to do, obviously. Uh, we have an application process. We think this is not necessarily best done from the altar. Uh, we think that oftentimes the most effective churches that walk through this process early on is it's, it's they're asking you to be a part of it. Hey, we've got an application. We'd like you to be a, apply to be a part of a mentoring group, which allows you to get a faith story and a little bit of understanding of the guys you want to be in that group. He had a defined short period of time he mentored. Uh, we have a nine and 12 month track that we, we look at. Um, we know there are groups, obviously, men's groups have been together for 10 and 15 years. And at some point, there's a little bit of a repetitive thing that you, you may repeat yourself a little bit more along the way. And we think getting these guys for a short period of time, equipping them, and then sending them out to multiply is an important part. Scripture was at the core. There was a lot of look back for Jesus. And then there was scripture that was being written, which we can't do. Prayer was huge. Obviously, he was modeling for his guys the ability to then be connected to the Father. When I was mentored by Reggie in 2002, um, the first thing, when we walked into his house, he started his mentoring group. He got on his knees, and you could have picked the jaws up of the seven guys around the table because I'd never seen a man pray on his knees and having an authentic conversation with his Heavenly Father. He was praying. He was modeling it transparently, and we all got to experience that in that group. He taught along the way of life. What we try to do is flip it over. Oftentimes, we, we can default to content first, relationships second in the church. And so we may create a class around financial planning because we think people may want to come into a class around financial planning but may not hit the heart of somebody who has something else on his mind. 
And so this model is one that starts heavy in relationships. It starts with story. And then once you get these guys to begin to share their stories, then the content, you can sort of move it around as is. Um, but you want to teach along the way, not push content into life. You want life to then dictate the content. Transparency. Uh, we know that today transparency is, is uh, a little bit trendy. That transparency is the, uh, the willingness just to tell everybody whatever's on your mind. Um, vulnerability, the difference in vulnerability and transparency is vulnerability is sharing what's going on in your life but being willing to get feedback back to you. And so um, the vulnerability that happens in these groups because stories are shared and the environment's created where guys are willing to do that is extremely powerful. Mutual commitment to each other. We know a lot of environments today are step in, step out. Um, if I, if I miss something, I may not get a phone call because somebody missed me. They just assume I'll come back whenever it's more convenient for me to come back. We require high commitment in these groups. We want guys to sign a covenant. We want them to understand what they're going to be a part of before they step into that environment. And then require multiplication. In our case, that multiplication may be leading another mentoring group, but it may be just applying themselves to some ministry inside the church where they feel like God is stirring in their heart to step into it but uh, requiring them to do something, obviously, is a critical piece. What is radical mentoring? What's a meeting look like? So the flow of our, our model and process is you start up front with a, with a retreat, well, with kind of a launch night and a retreat, and you end with a retreat. In between, those sessions are three hours long, which means some of you think, what in the world are guys going to talk about for three hours? Or some of you think, why aren't we meeting once a month or once a week? Aren't we supposed to meet weekly? Um, we feel like there's just a good blend that happens if you ask guys to commit to something and you're asking them to commit to something for three hours a month instead of once a week for two hours or an hour, we think that's just a little bit more digestible. We're not asking guys to leave the weekly meetings to do this, but you're asking guys to do a both and. Can you get three hours a month on your calendar in the summertime when everything gets a little hectic? Yes. Can you get once a month on your calendar on, in November when things are starting to get a little bit busy with holiday stuff? You can. But if you ask them to be at something every week, it's a little bit harder to digest. So the content, we get, there's a subject. Um, subject's not the right word. What's the word I'm thinking of? A theme for the month, if you will. Um, we, we'll walk you through what that looks like, but we want guys to think about their inner man first, grace, theology, identity, prayer. We also want them to think outwardly about their marriage, about their parenting, about their workplace. We have a recommended book each month, um, not written by us. There's, it's just a book that we think is a well-versed uh, Christian author whose theology is good. We want guys to read that book and write a one-page summary. Not a critique of the author, a one-page summary of what did this book mean to me, what are some things I did differently this month because of what I read. We think it's important that guys read uh, or the memorize two scripture verses by keyword. And if a guy can re recall a, a keyword and then tie that scripture to it if they're in a situation where they're dealing with fear or decision making, we think that's a, that's a very effective way for them to learn versus handing them a, a book of the Bible or a, a chapter verse and saying, here, memorize this chapter in the book of John. You've got to be able to do both. But this keyword piece we think is important because then it's the, the recall. Research says the recall is much better if they have a keyword that it's tied to. Growth assignments or homework assignments. 
So they're in the meeting once a month, they're getting ready to leave, they get the next book, they get their homework assignment, which is often tied to their marriage or it's tied to their own spiritual development. For example, um, we have an exercise called Five Feet for Five Minutes. And so we challenge these men who um, are married men, once they come home from work for the day, put all their stuff down, ignore the mess, step over the kids and the dog, and stand within five feet of their wife for five minutes with, with non-sexual touching, just to give her a devoted five minutes of focus when, as soon as he walks in the door. And then, in this community with each other in between sessions, talking about what that did. Did it change anything? Did it say, change behavior? How did she respond? How did you feel about it? So they get together. There's the one-on-one -on -one component with another guy in the group and getting together with the mentor. Mentor not every month, but the mentor will get one-on-one -on -one with the guys throughout that mentoring season. And they commit to praying for themselves, their mentor, and the other mentees in the group. So it's a high commitment group with a, a fairly high level of work that goes along with it. Um, book selection is important. You don't want to give them something that's so, uh, so theologically over their heads that it's harder for them to digest in roughly a 30-day period of time. You want it to be practical teaching. Talked about this a little bit. Reggie started this doing this in 2000. He was a one-on-one -on -one mentor. He was um, <clears throat> several churches in Atlanta, and he was teaching the singles groups. And so he found himself sitting across a guy from a table at a guy at a Waffle House or a Starbucks, and he was sharing something, pouring his life out, and realizing there were three empty seats around the table, and that was pretty inefficient on his part to be going place to place to place to place to place and then sharing life with one guy when there were more seats around the table. <clears throat> he also realized he was just putting bubble gum on the dam. That was a business problem, it was a marriage problem, it was a girl problem, it was a relationship with their dad problem. And he was kind of fixing that problem of the day, but knew that there was more pressure going on in the back end. And so he decided that he was just gonna create this process, pull books off of his bookshelf, grab scriptures out of his Bible, um, grab some homework assignments from things like Love Dare and other things and sort of piece together a process, invited guys to apply, and met around his dining room table. And so what started there was tested in local churches. Um, we continued to kind of work on it and hone that process down. And over the last several years, we've seen, um, it's been pretty fun to watch kind of God stirring in the hearts of men. I think because we make the resources available for free, I think helps and we hold it really open-handed. But I also think that there's just something about engaging men of the local church that you guys know is incredibly important in trying to get them involved in a process that is a little different than what they're expecting is good. So we have 225 churches of all shapes and sizes and denominations and cities and states. Um, 300 churches that will probably launch at some point between now and the end of next year. Um, churches that are expressing interest is somewhere around 2,500. They express interest because they go to a website and they create an account with us. Um, so they're accessing the resources. We want to see 20,000 men mentored by 2020. We're at 7,000 now and we've got over 820 mentors that we know of. The downside to giving things away for free is you don't really know who's using it. So I've, I've had conversations with people who said, oh, I've been using this for five years and had no idea they were doing anything. So um, that's kind of a cool thing to see. It organically grow without um, us having to touch it. This is actually this church here, Ocean View in San Diego. I noticed probably two years ago that all of a sudden I was having multiple people, staff people, lay people, all of a sudden all si starting to sign up. And so um, 
senior pastor and I sent a couple emails back and forth, and he literally wrote back, Kevin, no offense, I don't need you. You've got every, we've got everything we need on the website. I, I don't want to take up your time if you can use your time serving somebody else. So they, I met him. We had a meeting out in Orange County a couple, weeks, uh, couple months ago and got to spend some time with him. And he's just sort of seen both women and men's mentoring be a real game changer for their church. But you can see kind of all shapes and sizes and um, denominations. Anything you see on there that anybody I need to tell any stories about? So here's really what we want to accomplish in these sessions. We want to just give you a chance to activate the men of your church. We want to give you free resources. And then what Trey and I get to do on a daily basis is we just want to guide you. When you connect with us, we're going to ask for some time on your calendar. And it may feel inconvenient, but as I tell folks, there's good news and bad news to free resources. The good news is always that they're free. The bad news is um, we want to provide you with everything so that you can launch these groups. And so it can feel overwhelming. You can get a little bit lost oftentimes on the back end of the website. And so when we ask to spend some time with you, it may just be simply to check in. It may be simply just to um, make sure that you're getting the questions answered that you need, or it may be something really specific. But that's what Trey and I love to do every day, is just guide people along the way in the process. So if you think about the game of football in the South, as you, I guess most of you guys are from the South, maybe, maybe not around town, some of you. Um, we all like college football, probably more than pro football. If you notice, I don't know when I started noticing, but the quarterbacks always have this thing, right? This little thing on their arm and they flip it up and they look at it. My, my 12-year-old and nine-year-old are playing tackle football for the first time this year. Please don't judge me about head injuries. I've had that talk about every day from my wife the last, the entire season. Um, I said, don't you know how screwed up they already are? This could go one of two ways. And 50% is going to get a lot better. Um, but they walk up to the line, right? They even do this with 12-year-olds, and they have this little thing. And the guy tells them the play, the coach tells them the play, and they go in the huddle. And what was the thing Peyton Manning did that everybody loved? Omaha, 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 which meant, or he'd do kill, kill, or whatever. They, you know, they, now get to, they now mic them so you can hear all the things they say, right? If he, did this, if he just kept calling the play exactly like he saw it, every time and never adjusted it, he would he'd be destroyed, right? But this idea of audible is the ability to look out and go, all right, the landscape's changed a little bit. Let me shift my thinking. Let me try something different. Let me see how this play works out. And so that, that development of the ability to be swift and changing plays is really no different than um, what you're experiencing in the church world, right? We know churches are changing. We know culture's changing. We know your best attenders are showing up twice a month, maybe. We know we now put church online, right? Great, convenient. You know, you know what happens when I try to watch church online? I never go to church. Because somebody's yelling, somebody's doing this, somebody, I gotta go over here and make the whatever and fill up my coffee cup. So we've created a, a convenience around it so somebody looked at the landscape and said, well, if they're not coming that often, let's create it for them at home. Church online is not a bad thing. But as the landscape's changed, we know, and I think I've got some of these. Anybody read the book, uh, what's it called? Um, Growing Young by Cara, Cara, Fuller out of the Fuller, uh, Cara Powell out of the Fuller Institute. It's a great book. And she did all the, her, their institute did all this research on churches that were growing young 
because she began to see, they began to obviously see a change in the landscape. And so what they began to see is that people are coming to church initially for what? The preaching and teaching, right? You know, I mean, you're going you're to pick your church probably because you've heard that the preacher is really good and the messages are really good and applicable. Churches that are growing young have realized that people stay at churches because of the community around them. So at some point, you may have the greatest communicator in the world, and that may get a little bit stale, but if you're showing up every week with people that you're doing life with, you'll keep coming back. It's not necessarily how tight the jeans are on the worship leader and how deep the V-cut is and the smoke machines, all that stuff. That's, that's also shifting, right? That became a really big deal. Now you're hearing smaller churches, more community focus, more willing to get out in the neighborhood and get their hands dirty and do work. Those are what's happening in these growing smaller churches. I was in Greenville, South Carolina for um, uh, my wife's college reunion this past weekend. And there's a big church in downtown Greenville who just literally took the keys. Second church, second church in Greenville that I know has done this. Greenville, South Carolina. I mean, this is, this is Bible Belt, right? Church took the keys, big church downtown, and handed them to Grace Church because they couldn't afford to pay the power bill anymore. Because as the culture began to change, they never adjusted. Another church did the same thing and handed the keys to New Spring. Very same issue. And they said... Let this be another one of your community church plants. As the culture shifted, they never adapted. They never called the Omaha, Omaha and switched the game. And so you've got all these churches that are not growing younger. They're dying and people are leaving because they can't come back where they go, which is probably in the cemetery in the back, right? And so these churches are dying and the game is changing. But if we continue to do the same thing, it's insanity, right? I did learn it's not Albert Einstein that said that which Wikipedia said that, which means it may have been Albert Einstein because people can make up Wikipedia, but I don't really know. But we know that idea of insanity is just the same thing. And we plot along, and we do it over, and we do it over, and we do it over again. And we talked about in the last session, there's nothing wrong with some of the things that we do, right? We're not, our goal as a ministry is not to replace anything that you guys do because you have to have environments that can capture people all across the spectrum, Right? But we think if you can make a slight twist and shift something, you may be able to capture men in a different way, which we think then will capture your families, which will then capture the communities, which the, the waterfall effect from that we think, think has a huge generational impact. Anybody ever read the book um, Red Ocean, Blue Ocean? It's a business book. Uh, it's probably, gosh, probably eight or ten years ago. And the idea of Red Ocean was... If there's blood in the water, what happens? Sharks just, they all just circle it, right? And that's that idea of doing the same thing. And so if businesses keep coming up with the same idea and sharks keep circling the water, that market gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Blue ocean is sort of that uncharted territory. Sharks hadn't figured it out yet. And so the analogy they gave was Barnum and Bailey Circus, right? And Big Apple Circus or whatever, you list your neighborhood circuses, that's all that red ocean. Who created the blue ocean? Cirque du Soleil. Somebody, I think I heard somebody say it. Cirque du Soleil did, right? Still a circus by definition, but it is, nobody can do what they do. Nobody hires the talent they hire. And the guy who founded Cirque du Soleil said it was really just a shift. 
Why create another environment for a circus when I can go over here and I can create this beautiful artistic environment which carries the same sort of circus mentality, but it's a story, it's a show, and people can engage it differently. And that thing is just, obviously that's taken off and, and done very well. And so trying to just get you to think about the blue ocean that may, may exist for you in your church and your community versus the red ocean that a lot of other churches are swimming in is one of the things that we're um, thinking about. This is David Anderson. He's the men's pastor at Johnson's Ferry. What, what David says in that video, he talks about just how the process for engaging men into a deeper community hasn't replaced. So they do men's fraternity as sort of their, their um, all-call men's event, right? Low commitment. Guys come in, they have a cup of coffee, they eat a chicken biscuit, they sit around a table, they watch a video, then there's a specific guy who's a table leader who engages guys in that conversation. So he didn't say, forget men's fraternity, we're just going to do radical mentoring. He said, how do I engage the guys that are participating? They already made the next step, right? They've come to church. They read in the bulletin about men's fraternity. They're now showing up at men's fraternity, maybe not every week, but they're showing up enough. So they're regular attenders. How can I challenge that smaller group of guys to take an additional step further? And so radical mentoring became their, their next step. And so he, he talks about it at men's fraternity. He gets guys to apply to be a part of it. He has older, wiser guys in the church, a season of life or two ahead of the mentees who are willing to mentor, who are willing to take their time and treasure and talent and pour it into this group of younger guys. They have guys apply and they now have mentoring groups. Now, he didn't say, once you join Radical Mentoring, you never go back to men's fraternity. But what do you think is happening inside men's fraternity when these guys who are experiencing leadership from these older, wiser guys at Radical Mentoring and they're coming back in on that weekly basis, do you think the game is being elevated a little bit at men's fraternity? Do you think they're pushing guys a little further? They're asking better questions? Absolutely, because they're living it out with an older, wiser guy who's spending some time with them. So what are some things that you guys do that maybe you would say if, if your pastor wasn't in the room or you do it, you do them out of tradition? May not be good or bad things, they're just things that you do and anything jump out. Can be men's related, can be totally not related to men. That convenience thing. People want to know how long you gonna keep how long can I keep your attention? They do it. We don't we don't um, we spend a lot of time we used to go to North Point, Reggie goes to North Point, but they'll walk out and they'll say what? They do the announcements. We're gonna we're gonna keep you here for about an hour and five minutes. We took our kids from North Point to another church and put our kids in the kids' environment. And um, they didn't make that announcement. And 55 minutes later, or not 55 minutes later, 55 minutes, pat, the, pat, the sermon starts. 55 minutes later, the sermon ends. We didn't think much about it as parents. But man, when I walked in that kid's environment, my, our kids were just standing at the door. <laughs> it's like this. Get me out of here. Because guess what they got used to? An hour and five minutes, right? People want to know what's, um, that's good. People want to know sort of what's being, what's expected of them. Good one. Anything else? That's right. Yeah, that's right. We see, we start to count the, we, we measure the wrong things, but we don't, we measure the right things, excuse me, but we're not capturing the stories that go along with the measurement. So we lose, we lose some of the power of that. 
yeah, again, not all, none, none of them are bad things. I mean, some people say, well, vacation Bible school. Well, that's a great, our church in Atlanta does a remarkable job putting their arms around the community through vacation Bible school. I think that's a great tradition. Change that. It's not, this is not to say you just have to kill the traditions, right? But there may be things you can tweak and adjust. One of my favorite services ever at Buckhead Church, when they first, which was North Point's plant, first one they planted, it was a small little 800-person kind of, kind of seating, um, and they were piping Andy in via the World Wide Web, and he was you know, zooming across Atlanta with the technology. Power went out, couldn't get the internet, whatever it was, internet wouldn't work. And so the worship leader just grabbed his guitar and just played the guitar for 55 minutes and the campus pastor gave a little 10 minute message at the end and prayed for the community. It was like, because it was the same, it was like, well, aren't five minutes, you go to that? And it was this great disruption that happened and all of a sudden you kind of got right back into that heart of worship where, um, where, I, where I love to be in, the, in kind of the worship mode. So here are just some of the, some of the sayings. Um, and y'all interrupt me anytime, please. Um, same people, right? I think oftentimes um, churches have the same volunteers, have the same teachers. Not bad, but is there a different way to reach another arch of people who are willing to spend time, willing to volunteer time, talent, and treasure, just either haven't found the right opportunity to or don't know how to engage in it, right? So you get some of that same people. What we found with, with uh, this mentoring model, this small group mentoring model, is there are men that are in your church who may be successful in the business world, who may be regular attenders, who you know younger guys are looking up to, and they want to participate in something, but they're not going to teach a class because they don't feel like they're qualified to teach a class. So there's some kind of an unspoken hurdle around teaching a class. But if you could create an environment where they could just take their life experience, pour it into younger guys sitting around the table with them, would light them on fire. So what's happening at North Point, um, where Reggie is, is near North Point's uh, core message or their, their kind of their um, value statement, vision statement, is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And so they were doing a great job of leading people to Jesus but they were missing, in, in, oftentimes missing that growing piece. And so now what's happened is they've launched these mentoring groups. Guess what's happening with these mentors? They're taking the word people out and it's, they're starting to fill in the name of the guy that shows up. So it's leading Eric into a growing relationship or Kyle into a growing relationship. It, the thing they said was very impersonal, but when they got in the right environment, it became alive for them because they could connect it to another person. So maybe you just have to think, rethink um, how do you engage men in a different place. Same classes. Uh, somebody in the last group um, <clears throat> asked why we use the word mentoring versus, you know, it's not the National Mentoring Forum, it's the National Disciple Making Forum. Why aren't we using the word disciple making or discipleship? Um, Reggie and I, neither one of us are pastors. We were never pastors, we were business guys, so contextually mentoring made more, makes more sense to us. Um, guys are getting disciple, they're getting disciple making, they're experiencing disciple making, you're asking them to multiply and lead a group or step into some other environment in the church where they can lead. 
But for some people in your church, the idea of going to a discipleship class, they're going to have one of two thoughts. One, I've been discipled. I became a Christian when I was in the eighth grade. I've been discipled, so I don't need to be discipled anymore. Or, if they only knew what I did, they wouldn't allow me to be in a discipleship class. And so shame has begun to dictate the environment they think they're going to be in. And so we've created an unspoken hurdle around a, culture, a church culture word called discipleship or disciple making that some guys may not be willing to step into that environment. So we do some of the same classes. Again, you've got to have classes. You've got to have different environments for disciple making and different environments for discipleship. But we may need to shift some of that around and create other opportunities that just feel a little broader for people. I thought mentoring when I applied to be in Reggie's group in 2001, I got an email from him that said, write your obituary and send it back. Now I'm 25 years old, been newly married, I'd given zero thought to my obituary, I didn't have any kids. But what he was asking for was a vision statement, right? He was asking me to think about what I wanted my life to mean. Now, my mind, I thought, make this sound really good, and he's, he's going to get a group of young, hungry business guys, and we'll get a little bit of this, but we're going to be networking with each other, and it's going to be sort of this environment where we're going to be all kind of getting to know each other, and we'll, it'll be a job gathering thing at some point. And so my mind was pretty different. And then when I walked into Reggie's house the first time, Reggie got on his knees and prayed. And he prayed to his daddy, his father. And he could have picked us up all, all of us off the floor. We had no idea. That's what authentic prayer was supposed to look like. We all thought it was, thank you for the day, thank you for the food. But we got to experience somebody who was embodying Jesus to us in an authentic and transparent way, in an environment, by the way, that was not in the church building. We had a pastor in Minnesota tell us that who's leading groups, mentoring groups, he said radical mentoring is the only ministry that they have at their church that doesn't revolve around the church building. That it's not meet in room 201 Friday morning at 6 or meet here for this. Um, we take this and we want, the men, we want the men to meet in the house of the mentor. Unfortunately, we've got a perception, especially if we're dealing with some of the shame issues that a lot of guys are carrying around or the masks we wear all the time. We just think these walls have ears. You know, you, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous started in the basement, right? Because it felt a little bit darker and dingier and it wasn't necessarily in the pretty part of the church. And so it felt a little safer. So we think getting guys into the home of the mentor is critically important in this process. Um, again, different environments, it's sort of the same as um, buildings, but you know, you got sitting around the table is a different environment. Some churches talk about the, what do they call it, the, the foyer, the kitchen. I'm going to get them all, I'll get them all backwards. But mentoring is kind of the back porch. Like the guys that, I, that I'm a mentoring a group of seven guys. So I've lived radical mentoring as a mentee. I'm now mentoring my second group of guys. We do, we meet on our back porch. Now, now we'll start to light a fire and meet on the back porch. It's been a little bit too, too much for that. But there's just something about sitting in a circle, a fire going, or you just get a different level of authenticity. The environment feels a little different, and you're getting them sort of out of the, out of the traditional um, 
traditional places that they're used to. So we talked about this um, before. Radical mentoring is not intended to replace anything. Part of the reason I say that is we want guys to apply, which is different, it's very different. And we want guys to sign a covenant, which is again, very different. And we want guys to put things on their calendar nine and 12 months in advance. Very different. Why do we do that? Because we want it to be different. We believe if you hold guys to a higher standard, they know what that standard is, they will rise to meet that standard. But oftentimes we, rightly or wrongly, we just kind of hold, we hold a group and guys can show up when they want to, they don't have to do the work. And so it puts a lot of pressure on the leader who's always prepared, but if your leader's always prepared and the people coming are halfway prepared, it's not fair on the leader. And so we don't want to be everything, but we think again, if you can have a group of men who are willing to do that, willing to sign up, know what's expected of them, willing to read nine to 10 books in a year, the average male reads 2.4. So you're asking them to step, already take a leap, do homework assignments every month, take a leap, meet with another guy in the group, take another leap. We're asking them to do something, but the, the method behind our madness is starting with the story. So the reason we do a story retreat up front, the reason we have the mentor tell their story first is we want that mentor to tell the non-Sunday school version, not the version he used to tell to his buddies at the bar on Friday or Saturday night. We don't want to tell that version. We want him to tell the honest truth about his life, where he was, where his challenges are, where God stepped in and redeemed, and where he continues to struggle. And if I'm a younger guy, if I'm 25, like I was when I walked into Reggie's house, which was a great house, and in my mind I thought he had it all together, and he talked about when his wife left him at home and said, I'm leaving, I'm leaving you with the kids. I don't know when I'm coming back, but you need to get to know your kids. And he told us that story. Again, his veneer started to shatter a little bit more. Now she came back and they've been, they're still ha incredibly happily married and God redeemed that. But he made several really dumb business decisions that caused her to realize that his career was more important than the family. And so she called him out on it and left. He told us that story. Do you think we were all more engaged from that point on versus I've been married for 32 years and here are my kids and this pretty picture and all the, the Instagram Reggie was not the one we got. Um, incredibly powerful. There's a reason that they go first. The speed that the mentor shares that story is the speed that the mentees in the group will share the story. I still get together at least once a year with the guys I met 15 years ago because my dad passed away when I was in high school in a car accident. Pete's dad died alone, drunk in a hotel room in Baltimore. And Pete had to be a pallbearer at his dad's funeral because his dad didn't have enough friends to carry the casket. David's dad, um, David sat with his dad when he, while he died of ALS. Joff's dad uh, came out of the closet and caused a whole bunch of just challenges within their family unit in terms of his identity and all those other things. So we, just, we all walked through that season together, but we shared those stories up front, which then gave us permission to speak into each other's lives. So I can't continue to come back and talk about what my wife is not doing because I know David or Pete or whoever is going to say, uh-uh. 
fix it. It's not her, it's you. And so don't come back next month and tell me that. Or I'm going to get a note in between asking me to, um, to let them know how things are going. So we, we, not everybody's going to do that, right? We're not going to replace small groups. We don't, we don't even ask anyone to leave a small group. I think this is a really important piece. Oftentimes in churches, as you know, church staff can get a little territorial around their volunteers. <laughs> find it hard to believe, but if there's a limited number of the same people, they certainly don't want you trying to get your hands on the same people and elevate them into this new environment because then they think, now what am I going to do? I don't have anybody left. So we never ask a guy to quit their small group for the 12 months that they're in radical mentoring. That's why we do once a month for three hours. That's why we sit down at the beginning of the year, we ask the guys to bring a wife-approved calendar so that they know as much as they know what's on that calendar in advance, and you sit around, and it is the most painful thing that happens in these groups, but you don't leave the first meeting till you have nine or 12 months of dates on a calendar so that everything gets protected. So we can't replace small groups. Now, oftentimes what a church will do, this is again, I keep using North Point as a reference, but I'm not saying that because this is a big church ministry. But what they do is they don't ask their small group leaders to be in radical mentoring. They ask their small group leaders to nominate a person who would be a great small group leader to step into the mentoring environment while they're still attending their small group regularly. You think that's elevating the game of their small groups? And what do you think they want that nominated leader to do? be the one that launches the next small group, right? Talked about men's ministry earlier as a discipleship platform. Is there any better way to be discipled than to walk with an older, wiser guy who's a little bit further down the road with you talking about how you disciple in your marriage? How do you disciple in the workplace? How do you mentor in, in all these different, how do you raise your kids better? It's life on life, teaching along the way, giving homework assignments, scripture at the core, you're memorizing scripture, you're modeling to these younger guys what the authentic Christian life looks like. Again, not the pretty veneered version that we're all used to, the one that's got ups and downs, you're telling them where your challenges are, but they're seeing you walk through a season of life with them, they're hearing you talk about your struggles, and they're just experiencing the embodiment of Jesus. And for some of us younger guys, and some of the younger guys in your churches, maybe their relationship with their dad was so screwed up that they don't understand what that relationship with their Heavenly Father is supposed to look like. And so you're going to unpack some of that stuff. And it can get a little bit messy, but that's discipleship. That's life on life, walking with somebody, a group of guys together. Lay leader development. Um, <clears throat> we have found somewhat of a, a sweet spot in churches that are growing faster than their staff can handle. And so creating an environment where you're helping engage lay leaders in a process and then asking them to go out and step into some other area of ministry is incredibly powerful. You're transferring that authentic leadership. And by the way, our process never changes. We don't have a track for lay leader development, a track for discipleship, and a track for men. Same process. We ask churches, why are you coming? Why are you interested in radical mentoring? And so we ask them, is it discipleship, lay leader development, or men's ministry? That's just for us. Everybody gets the same track. <clears throat> discipleship, by the way, is leaps and bounds ahead of these other two in terms of choices. But do you think they're going to come out with better leaders? Even if they want better men, they're going to get better leaders. 
even if they didn't think they needed better discipleship or better disciple making, they're going to get better disciple making. They're going to come out on the other side with all of these three things going on inside the groups. Before I talk about the process, y'all fire some questions my way. We've Side note, two things. Number one, I will mention the resources. Titus2MentoringWomen.com is a model that was somewhat written or Reggie sort of helped a lady by the name of Regina Williams write that content. So it is a mentoring model for women. It's a little weightier and a little heavier than radical mentoring because she thought women could handle more than guys could, which is probably true and 100% accurate. Um, we will have probably early next year, we'll have a women's track on our website that'll blend a little bit more. What I, What's going to be hard is I don't really want to take a bunch of phone calls from women's ministry to answer a bunch of questions because I'm not one. Um, but we'll see how that goes. But we think we want to have something available. Titus 2 doesn't have any, any people supporting it, so we're going to have some level of support, number one, or two, or whatever. Um, Chad's Church is a good example. They do both men and women's mentoring. They've probably had 30% um, women groups, I would think. If he were here, I'd ask him that. But I think they probably had 30% of their women's groups. They actually have a guy at their church that's going to start couples. He, he and his wife are going to start couples mentoring. <clears throat> a different twist. <clears throat> um, I, I bet I know, 20 to 25% of the churches that I know of have some form of women's mentoring. Um, but that's not surprising. More, we hear that 100% of the time, that women want in on it. But oftentimes churches have enough they have so much content for women that they just sort of ignore this piece of it. But it's a good, it's a good process. Try anything. Is that 20, 25% accurate, you think? Okay. Did I answer that? I feel like there was more to it. Thank you. What other questions can I answer for you? Yeah, it's some, um, I'm a bad example. I'm a good example and a bad example. Of that. I was mentored in 2002 and started my first group in 2015. So I had to get my, how about that, my life experience. I had to figure that out. And then went on a hiatus because I was, I was not mentored through the church, which was the, one of, that was one of the differences. Reggie's call was, you guys just go out and do something kind of a thing, but make sure you come back and mentor again. What we see more and more churches do here is they'll do co-mentor pairs. So we'll have two, one older, wiser guy and one not quite as old, not quite as wise with the goal of that not quite as old, not quite as wise guy to go out and start another group. So they multiply it that way. And then they also ask the guys in the group, where, where do you think it is you want to serve? And so they help them identify. They may go in. They may want to do a middle school group or a high school group. They may help them understand. It'll be a different process than this. But when the church asks them to be involved in this, the church also asks them to be involved in something when it's over. And so they, they have some, maybe it's divorce care or Stephen's ministry. They may put them in other places where they have a need. Not all mentees will be mentors, nor should they be mentors. So you kind of have to, they may not necessarily multiply right away into mentoring groups. It may multiply into other areas of the church that are going to get served along the way. Um, not real well. Um, <laughs> Trey, Trey does it. First leader. Yeah, Trey does it. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Trey didn't do it either. Um, it's hard. The first year is really hard. Now, um, quick point on that. Ours is a facilitation model. So you have to have not only the guy with the right mindset around it, yeah. but also a guy that's 
your best teachers oftentimes are terrible mentors. But what happens in the group is the first year is hard because the mentors reading the books along with the mentees. Now, we provide on this website, and I'll show you in a second, literally all the agendas for every conversation with pl questions planted, when do you say this, how do you do the scripture memory, we kind of walk them through all of that. With that being said, you're still doing something different. Once that gets through, then it becomes a lot easier along the way because you've had men who've had the mentee experience, they can refer guys in. We have a couple things for training in here as well that you can send guys to or you can send them out and they can go through. But it really takes, our best churches have a really strong senior pastor, not necessarily leading groups, but who's kind of had his thumbprint on it. Um, a staff pastor at some degree who's involved in the process and a really strong lay leader. Like Chad's church, I keep pointing to this invisible man on the couch because that's where he was yesterday. Chad's church had a lay leader by the name of Ray Snyder who's an older guy who just embraced it. And then he started leading groups and then Chad started his groups about three months behind Ray's group. So every time Chad was getting ready to have a meeting, he, Ray would have a meeting on his calendar and say, here's some things to think about, here's some things to kind of look around. So that key lay leader can also help coach some of the other guys. Chad was a part of Ray's? Chad, Chad's a senior pastor, okay. so he was not part of Ray's. He just felt like if it was going to happen in his church, he needed to do it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he got that group of five guys, I think is who, how many he did. But he just wanted to make sure that he was fully prepared, so we just had Ray to ask all the questions to to make sure that he... Some churches will do a group of, they will do a short season where they'll have kind of a lead mentor mentoring the future mentors. So kind of mentor training through osmosis kind of a thing that doesn't necessarily work as well because older guys have a tendency to position a little bit more so than younger guys who just want to get fed. Yeah. But at first year is a little bit harder. You got to find the right person with the right heart to, to do it. Real quick on the resources, um, this is the website. If you go through that, that uh, Disciple Maker link, you'll end up here. If you set up an account, you will see these four buttons, prepare, equip, connect, and launch. Those four buttons will have some sub-steps and they will have everything in there you would need from how, what do you say to your senior pastor to get him to think about doing this? If you need your senior, senior pastor to sign an email. Here's what that email could say. We've written it for you. It's already available in PDF and in doc so you can adjust it and edit it. Um, equipping. There's two uh, training sessions in there that you can use. One is how do you facilitate a meeting so it creates sort of a mock facilitation session and one's how do you help a mentor understand how to share their story. So you take them through a process or you you can give the resources to them. Uh, how do you connect the groups? Some churches will do um, literally baseball draft style. Uh, some churches will do it demographically and they'll try to get guys in the same area of town depending on where you live and what the traffic's like and what's launch night need to look like or the processes that you need to follow. Underneath that you'll see tracks which is where most people go first because they really want to know what happens in the groups. So we have a nine month and a 12 month sort of recommended track tested by churches that use us um, this is a great way to start out of the box. You can see uh, the difference between nine and 12 months beyond three months is um, some really important topics get left out, but a lot of churches want in nine months because it just fits their, their calendar well, school year calendars and otherwise. Each one of these topics underneath that has agendas and recommended books and homework assignments and scripture uh, verses already in there. 
If you do the recommended plans, you'll also find a matrix document, which is a one-page summary of everything that happens in that mentor season, what books you give out for the next session, kind of all those gory details. You can also send a 124-page document to Kinko's, which has every agenda for every session that you will do in that nine or 12-month season with, I think, five copies of the homework assignments in the back for each one and a reminder to make sure you print off enough for everybody. So that covers everything. So the training can be as long as a big agenda that tells you what to say or some type A personalities go, I don't really care about all that stuff. I just need to know when to start and when to end. And so we, we got both options in there. The goal here though is just to make sure that you've got everything in there that you might need. Um, Connect will have the covenant documents in there as well. I mean, literally everything is, is tucked away in there. But that's why Trey and I exist is when you get lost in the website, we want you to have a place to come back to and, and pick up the phone and call or send a note over. So we're, we're pretty, um, pretty hands-on. In fact, not to toot our own horn, but that's back there. Um, I, had an email this, I had an email from two leaders, one guy in Illinois that was doing his story retreat this weekend, and one guy from Nags Head, North Carolina, that was doing his story retreat this weekend. So I just emailed both of them and said, y'all just need to talk to each other because you're both doing your story retreats and you need to pray for each other. And, and I got an email from the guy in Nagshead who picked up the phone and called the guy in Illinois. And they had this great conversation. He just was like, oh, it was just great. It was easy. You just connected. I'm, I'm, we're kind of like matchmakers. If we think there's a resource to connect you with, if somebody that's really doing it, if you want to talk to a senior pastor who's doing it at the church, we've got a lot of fans that we can just um, connect you to. So here are the tracks. Um, the other two things I'll point out, and then we'll have some more time for dialogue. Um, <clears throat> the two things also included in your account is a custom link for an application and then a custom link for a survey. So these are all unique to just your account. So if you, if you want to send an email out um, to the group of the names of the guys you've accumulated, and say, hey, here's a link to an easy application, it's demographic information, and it's your faith story. We're not asking anything specific, social security numbers or anything weird like that. It's really just straightforward information. They fill out the application, you get an email that says, Kevin Harris just applied to be a part of the Radical Mentoring Group. So you can track all those applications directly from our website. Um, at the end of the mentoring season, you also have a survey. Um, in that survey, great for you because it allows you to, um, sorry, I was trying to get to those results, which is pretty good. Um, it allows you to kind of get a feel for what's going on inside your mentoring group. But the, the, we ask them questions like this. This is about 500 surveys that have been done by somewhere around 20, 20 plus churches that have come back in through our survey system. When we get your surveys, we'll create a report and we'll send that out to you so you can get a read on specifically what's happened inside of your groups. But we ask men if they've deepened their walk with God, 97% have, overall life improved, 98%, marriage improved, 96%. You get a flavor for what some of those details are. So it gives you a chance to get a snapshot, both of kind of the statistical data, but then we ask things like, which book, two books were the most beneficial, which two books were the least beneficial, um, who, do you, who do you think you would be interested in doing this, you, get, you can get your referrals from there for other guys in your church, um, what are some things you'd want to do differently, what are the things you wouldn't change, so it gives you both statistical data and then some just commentary on things that happened in the group. So that's also on the website for your own account, um, that survey system.
is there for you. So we've tried to cover everything from the minute you think about it to the results on the back end and then everything in between and then we'll help you just get ready to launch that next season. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Make sure to download your copy of the free ebook called Fill Your Seats at discipleship.org radical. You'll find dozens of other great resources just like this one at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.